the Driven Women's Guide to Love, Life, and Business. Hosted by the boss ladies Alex and Gabby. Combined, their network gathers an array of women from various industries who exemplify strength and tenacity. Their fun and positive approach to life will awaken the boss in you. You're listening to Girls Gone Boss. Echo Juan left China at age 20 to cross the ocean with nothing but $800 and the hope of achieving the American dream. Her courage and dedication fueled her journey through the business world over the next 20 years, gaining experience working in the financial planning firms of all sizes before venturing off on her own. Today, as the founder and president of Echo Wealth Management, Echo helps the country's top executives and entrepreneurs take the complexity out of their finances, giving them the confidence to follow their dreams and achieve their goals. Good morning. Well, it's good morning for us. It's a beautiful Echo. Saturday, and we're here for another episode. Hey, Alex. Hi, Gabby. How are you, Quarantine Bay? <laughs> <laughs> I'm good. I'm a little. I'm a little bit scared though, because now that they're opening everything up, I'm like, uh, I don't know yeah. if I should go anywhere. I'm still gonna stay home. Yeah, I'm still gonna stay home. I'm going to be watching everyone as they go out. Yeah. Then I'll just kind of wait and see what happens. But I am staying home. I am still quarantining myself. But as we stay home, we're going to keep doing episodes. We're going to keep empowering you guys during this weird time. And we're excited because we really wanted to have a guest who was a special, um, I guess, expert on finances. What better time than to get your finances right than now? So welcome, Echo Juan. I'm so excited to have you on the show. Yay. Hi, Gabby and Alex. I'm very excited to be here. So yeah, let's get started about what coronavirus and financial planning, everything all together. Yes, but first tell us about growing up in China. Oh, yeah. I, um, you know, quickly, my story in China. I was uh, born and raised in China in a rural village. My parents were high school teachers and they lived in separate villages to teach until uh, we. I was eight years old. So initially no running water, unreliable electricity. So when I was 12 years old, uh, my parents uh, found a job in the city called Shenzhen Shenzhen is a uh, right now is very big city on the border of Hong Kong, but at that time it was uh, a fishing village with uh, maybe fifty thousand to sixty thousand people. So when my family moved in there, it was the first special economic zone in China, and now it's probably seventeen million people looking like Hong Kong, and you get and it's Silicon Valley in China. So imagine when I was there as a teenager, I, uh, for let's say from 12 to 20, I witnessed the entire change of the city. And I was able to watch Hong Kong TV uh, using the antenna on the balcony. So I think I had exposure to the outside world when I was growing up. And I always wanted to travel the world. And I had opportunity uh, when I was 20 I came to the U.S. Uh, with $800 in my pocket, and I decided to pursue my dreams. And I first went to actually University of Idaho uh, because my uncle was the only person I knew at that time. He was a visiting scholar doing research in chemistry for two years at the University of Idaho. So I spent one year uh, living with him and his family, and later, I found a scholarship. A year later, I found a scholarship to be transferred to Winona State University in Minnesota. And that's how I ended up here in Minnesota, um, you know, since 1993. So, wow. Yeah. That, how was that transition from moving from China to the United States, though? Like, was it a culture shock for you? Oh, there were so many surprising things. I, I you know, that's another reason I need to write a book about it. So, uh I think uh, even though I had planned uh, for, you know, my study here, but there were many surprising things. The cultural shock, of course, my language wasn't good enough to take notes in the first class. It was um, macroeconomics. That, my seems, first class, that seems tough. 
It was overwhelming. Oh my God, I remember that macro oh. and micro. I oh my, God. oh my God. I think it was really difficult for me to take notes and I had to read. I had to use dictionary to read the night before, before uh, in order to understand. Um, and of course, uh, well, let me think. I, I had to drop the English literature class <laughs> after one week because I couldn't read uh fast enough right. and especially old English and I changed to geography but anyway that's you know part of the challenge and then other things is of course financial I I was working at the cafeteria washing dishes uh, uh like four dollars and 25 cents per hour I I was able to work only 20 hours a week and uh, obviously it wasn't enough to pay for tuition. And I think total cost was close to $10,000 a year for foreign students at that time. So, so I had to find a way to figure out how I'm gonna finish my degree in finance in order to kind of like make it in America. So, so uh, your parents yeah. were still back home, right? My my family were all back home. I I was very, just think about at that time, China was not as rich as today. Just think about, you know, that was 1991. And uh, many people couldn't leave country freely. And I, it was not easy to obtain a full-time student visa to come to the U.S. And many people you know, were rejected when they went to China, uh, the U.S. embassy in China. And I was really fortunate. The day I received the full-time student visa was one of the best days in my life because that was turning point of my life, uh, be able to leave China uh, and, you know, just have the opportunity to study abroad. And of course, later I had opportunity to travel to different countries. So I think um, I was very fortunate by, because I persuaded, I think the immigration officer, I would not be a burden to the society here. <laughs> I kind of like just persuaded her that, um, you know, my passion about the financial world. And at that time, I already had a very good job with the Bank of China as an accountant. So I had a, a accounting diploma, the three-year diploma in China when I was 17 years old. So yeah, so I already had a, I would say a great job uh, in the city. It was, I just decided that wasn't enough for me. And I I really was ready to take on new challenges. So uh, the first year in the U.S. was very challenging. And then, of course, later adapting everything in in Minnesota. I, uh, I also, so when I came to Minnesota, the good news is I was able to pay resident tuition instead of non-resident tuition that saved me several thousand dollars in tuition per year. And uh, uh because I found this program, I introduced my culture to the local communities and maintain a high GPA. In return, I pay resident tuition. So it's a win-win situation for the state of Minnesota uh, to attract foreign students to increase diversity. And so I am still telling people, you know, please keep this program for the state because that's the reason I ended up here. Um, yeah, so I, I I think the transition was, I think most difficult was financial. So I was working whenever possible on campus during school year. I took maximum classes in the summer. Uh, and I actually changed my major from, from finance to accounting uh, because at that time the uh, e economy wasn't that great in 94. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, a professor told me that if you can pass your CPA exam, you are practically guaranteed a job. I, I believe that is a true statement. And as a foreign student, I only had one year after graduation to find a job. Otherwise, I had to go back to my home country without any work experience. So I made the 
critical transition to change my major from finance to accounting. And I, I was able to find a job and pass my CPA exam. And of course, that really helped me uh, land a really good job in the future as well as a tax CPA for KPMG, one of the largest CPA firm in the world in downtown Minneapolis. So I, you know, so I made a few really good decisions to help me get on the path to financial freedom. And I think in college, uh, I had to struggle. Um, I would say I had to struggle a lot. You know, Minnesota was, well, it's still a very cold place compared compared to where I grew up because, uh, you know, I grew up in tropical, subtropical climate. And uh, just in Minnesota winter, the first winter was really brutal because I had no idea how to dress properly. And uh, so that was one challenge. And in terms of the transition to financial world, I always wanted to always wanted to uh, learn more about the financial world. And uh, accounting wasn't my passion, I would say, I think it was the practical way to utilize my limited resources when I didn't have much at that time. And because lending a job was extremely critical for me. But um, I think after working for KPMG, I was uh, I was a tax specialist. So I prepared tax returns for corporate executives and wealthy families. So I prepare all kinds of returns. And after, I would say I love the financial planning part of it throughout the year. But I didn't enjoy that much when it comes to tax season. So, <laughs> so I always tell people I'm a recovering CPA because after what? After three tax seasons, I decided that wasn't going to be my long-term goal. Yeah. So, um, so I decided to change my career. Again, uh, again. <laughs> I love no, but I love the fact that you like reinventing yourself in this in the sense like you went from changing your major because you were like trying to figure out what was going to be the best decision. And then again, you changed it without fear, but then it, it, you know, every decision led you to, I believe where you're at today. So I love the fact that you are, you were bold enough to make those, you know, those changes in the midst of living somewhere you didn't really know. So I, I think it's very commendable. And for our listeners, it's valuable to hear that, you know, sometimes you got to change direction, you know, and it's okay. Exactly. I think when I share this part of the story, I, of course, I reflect back to 25 years, no, more than 25 years now. I can't believe it. I graduated actually exactly 25 years ago. I don't so. look fantastic. She does not look. <laughs> I, I was like, oh my God, it was. It was quarter century ago when I finished my degree. And um, and I, I want to share that part of the story because nowadays it's, you know, imagine today's graduate in this recession and pandemic. And, you know, I want to share the story of my own journey and the struggles and also what kind of decisions I have to make. And now as I look back, it's okay if you, it's not a straight shot to everything, right? So you need to constantly plan ahead, but be adaptable. You need to think about, you know, at that moment, what are your assets and what are your skill sets? And, and just think about your passion as well. So for me, it's okay to pivot, you know, it's reassessing, pivot, and then move on. So it's okay to have a period of like experimenting uh, because I, I believe that, I mean, right now, as I think about my own world managing, you know, over $110 million for 80 some clients, I always want to remind myself to be adaptable because the world is changing so quickly. And as a business owner, I must adapt as well in terms of technology, marketing, how we offer services to people. So that's where I, you know, kind of explain to you, I made the transition in 2000. If you remember 2000, the stock market just started to decline. So I actually did not know the best timing of 
changing my career from a most conservative occupation, you never lose your job as tax CPA for KPMG, practically, to a to be a financial advisor, that is truly high risk and high reward profession, especially for me as a Asian minority woman who wants to manage millions of dollars for people. So I call myself a triple minority uh, in this, you know, financial planning industry. I think in 2000, it was really critical time because I didn't have a chance to ride the stock market up, but it was declining several, you know, years, right? So I had to learn things so quickly to adapt. And um, yeah, in terms of the challenge I had to face was focusing on the client service, meaning preparing their financial plans for a fee instead of selling the popular mutual funds for commission. I think today a lot more advisors doing that fee service, right? But I think back then it was not as common. So I had to kind of make, make something up along the way just to make sure I'm offering valuable services and get some income in the door and also earn trust from these clients. So over time, I'm able to manage more of their money. So I would say the first venture uh, from 2000 to 2003 was a critical one. I think I learned a lot of lessons from there. And then I started my own company, the first one in 2003 with LPL Financial. And um, three years later, I merged with another firm, a small firm in town as a partner. And I was there, for about a decade and mainly focusing on providing services to corporate executives of Fortune 500 companies. Uh, so, uh, and then five years ago, I made another big change because I decided to create Echo, Echo Wealth Management. Uh, and now my team have been working together at, for over five years now. So this is where I am. And I can definitely tell you that um, I finally can say I have realized my American dream because being a business owner in the financial services and really truly enjoy working and mentoring my team, younger team members is really my dream come true. Well, seriously, congratulations on that because everything that you've accomplished is it's pretty amazing, especially coming from China, not knowing the language, not knowing anybody. And you never gave up. You had so much determination. So I salute you for that. And I think a lot of our listeners are really, really going to be able to resonate with you and take all these lessons. But you did talk about the pandemic, right? And you talked about yeah. changing and being adaptable. So I think that if the pandemic has taught us anything, is that we're all worrying now about our future and savings, right? So we're all realizing that we need to start saving more. So what tips do you have for people, for everyone listening Mm -hmm. out there? How can we save more money? Because as Americans, most of us live paycheck to paycheck. Yeah, it is a a very challenging thing. As you know, before the pandemic, I think Americans are not saving enough compared to many other countries, right? So now they have, it gets even harder because of unemployment. And also, of course, we don't know when we will find vaccines. So this is uncertainty that is pretty long term. In terms of recession, we are in the recession right now. I don't anticipate this to be a quick recovery. So it's not going to be a V-shaped recovery. So we are ta- really anticipating a U-shaped recovery. We So, you know, keep that in perspective. I would say for people, you know, if you still have a job, obviously very fortunate, right? And if you can work remotely from home like me, that's great. I mean, we're definitely grateful for that. And I think if you have a job, you are still able to continue bring home the paycheck. Well, do not stop contributing to your current retirement goal. Okay. So in my mind, I'm thinking, don't, don't feel like panic. Now you, you just give up your existing strategy in terms of long-term saving. So I want people to kind of come down and say, yes, we need to be alert. But I don't want people just panic and and destroy all the plans. But of course, they need to also, it's a good time to do a 
very thorough review of your budget. Remember, the healthy money habit is important during regular times, but this kind of unusual times, it's even more critical. So I would urge your listeners to sit down, actually start analyzing the budget much more closely. Be very clear about must-haves versus nice-to-haves. So, you know, I, I, I think we, we try to educate children about those two, right? Needs and wants and everything. But I, right now, as adults, I think we have to look at it. I mean, personally, I say I look at my essential expenses, obviously housing, food, insurance, I think the other one must be transportation, right? I mean, the things you must have to get to your job or something. Those are the things you want to be sure, very secure. And then everything else you have to review and say, can I delay this or do I really need this? So just go through item by item, just cross them out. Examples are, for example, subscription services. You know, there are subscriptions that come out of your checking account or credit card, 10 or $15. You normally don't know this or you don't care. <laughs> now it's good. Just look at, ask yourself, can you live without it? Just cancel them, right? Another thing I'm thinking is people are, if you are able to eat more from home and do more home cooking, right? You save some money. So uh, maybe reduce the frequency of eating out and take out food. That could also help out. And um, I also, personally, I cancel my gym membership. <laughs> I, I'm just saying, I, everyone can look into it and say, what can I live without? And cut out all the fat. And also do one exercise for me. Remember the essential expenses that I mentioned about? Once you get down to very bare bone budget, look at your check-in and savings that where I consider your emergency fund. You know, divide that and see how many months is your runway. You know, it's good to know. So if you, you, you have emergency fund, great. Now just look at it, new budget, and give yourself an idea. Do I have six months or only three months for these essential expenses? I think people need to have at least six months because it takes a long time to look for a job, right? If you don't have a job. And so I, I want people to be more careful about that. And then for people who don't have a job, you know, it's so important to start multiple ways to get through this crisis. Because one, of course, applying for unemployment insurance, even though it takes longer than you want, but you have to be on it and just get that money, get started. And then, of course, you may need to think about uh, other strategies such as, um, you know, if you are laid off, that means you still need to consider future opportunity, right? Your future employment opportunity. I think for people, if they lose their job, they obviously need to think about uh, if they have mortgage payment, they actually should go ahead and call and find out how long they can put it off because it, it's kind of expected. It's not that difficult to do. And I think for people who don't have a job, especially for people who have very limited emergency fund, putting it off for a few months give you longer runway that I'm calculating based on essential expenses. And then make sure you check, if you lose your job, you need to check on your insurance benefit. And of course, just imagine, you know, you can't get sick. Uh, well, normally you would have insurance in, uh, benefit at least for another month, right? But I just want you to read that really carefully and think about not, not losing insurance coverage. If you have to buy on the exchange, go and buy it because your income is lower that may qualify for a government subsidy. So I want to make sure people are prepared there and also... Go on LinkedIn and update your LinkedIn and resume. It's, I know this is going to be, could be many months ahead before people find their next job, but they must think about, you know, 
how am I going to get there? Do I need to explore other industries because the worlds are changing so quickly and the companies are adapting? Can you find some opportunities that you can work from home? So be very adaptable, adaptable, and look at your own skill set and uh, and network and find some kind of work that you may be able to do that could you know constantly add to your resume. So I just want people to think about all the resources and don't be afraid to ask for help. I I think a lot of people may be you know they feel like oh my god what am I gonna do? I think first come down and then of course. Think about talking to different people and asking for help. If you don't ask, people don't know. Right. So I think, yeah. So I think a simple ask is really important and be consistent. Uh, for example, like I think we spend more time online now, right? So marketing online, networking online is so critical for people. And when they assess that if they are not gonna stay at the, the same industry. They, can, they should find out any online training they may be able to obtain to get into a different industry. Because if this recession is very long, they, they cannot just sit there and wait for the, you know, everything to get better. They actually need to prepare for the recovery and how they're going to go out there and get the best opportunity, you know, like job opportunity. We also don't know what how the world is going to change. So sticking to your old thought and your old ways is also not going to help. So you have to be adaptable. Um, I I read the other day that a lot of corporations, for those that are fortunate to still have a job, um, the the companies that offer 401ks, they're no longer matching your 401k. So would it be smart to stop contributing to the 401k if you're not getting matched? Or is it better to continue to contribute? It depends, but most uh, most likely, if I look at situation, I would say don't stop. The reason for it is you are investing in your own future, your own retirement. Even somebody don't put the matching for you, you still need to save for your own retirement, right? So stop, stop contributing only for the reason of not getting matching is not a good decision. However, for that particular person, we also need to analyze that person's current emergency fund to get through the recession. So if that person's situation is not very healthy in terms of, you know, that person only had like a one month emergency fund. Oh, no, that's not good enough. So I would say build up your emergency fund to be at least six months of living expenses. For certain people, maybe 12 months. I mean, depending on the industry, if you are the only income earner or you have a spouse you can kind of rely on, I mean, you can, I my caution is don't stop investing solely because of the market volatility. That's so important for me to tell everyone because when the when you invest for the long term, right? What long term means is you don't use that money for probably many many years down the road, and you know for four hundred one k and IRA, you shouldn't tap into it until after fifty nine and a half to avoid the penalties. So ten percent penalty is huge, right? So I want to caution people and say there is reason that's called retirement fund and. Magic of compounding will work so well when you give it the time. So if you have 20 years, don't freak out about one year in 2020, you didn't earn the 6% rate of return. Because when you are buying like a dollar cost averaging, right, you buy in with your paycheck, the market went down 20%, you are same amount of money can buy you more shares. So in a way, it's less risk for you to invest through your paycheck into the market for the long term. And of course, uh, people need to have good advice to choose the right investment too. So it's not just, uh, just saving is just not enough because, you know, if you just put it there and have no strategies and do not know what kind of risk you're taking, that may not help because people tend to bail out, um, 
when the market lost, let's say 30%, when they don't understand the strategy or the risk they're taking. So there's, okay, so you have to have a personal account, right, which is for your yeah. everyday uh, expenses, a savings account mm-hmm. that is just for unforeseen uh, unemployment or health yeah. issues, anything that you might have. And then you should also have a separate retirement fund. So those are yeah, your top that, three or is there more? That, that's the minimum. Oh, so wow. let me get started with the priority. If I want to give you, um, I'm going to use example of someone who's 30. Maybe okay. many of Perfect. your audience are like a 30, all right? So that person may just got started, right? I mean, maybe have a little bit money in the savings. And so first you need to get your savings up to, as I mentioned, minimum six months of expenses. And if you are, of course, I would encourage them to pay off any debt, especially consumer debt that with a higher interest rate credit cards, because your credit score is important for the long term. So after you pay off the consumer debt, like a high interest rate credit card, you need to make sure put in enough in your 401k to get the matching. So think about this. If if you have to put in 6% to get all the matching from your employer, don't put 4%. You should put 6%. That's important. Don't leave money on the table. But then after that, if you are able to save more, here's my other advice. If you already have emergency fund, but you have uh, some shorter term goal, such as buying a home or some down, down the road, buying a car, you need to be saving some. But then if it's longer term than two or three years, you can also open an account in your name. That is not retirement account. It's just a investment brokerage account. You can open that anywhere like TD Ameritrade or Vanguard. You know, it's just in your name. It's not the retirement account. But the good news about that is you don't have penalty when you need to assess it before 59 and a half. So I always want people to kind of think about you need to have some long-term money that you need to retire but you also, especially when you're in your 20s or your 30s, your life, I mean, there are just so many uncertainties. Like, for example, it's very costly to have a baby. You know, Alex, You, I have a girl, actually, <laughs> yeah. she's going to be 15. She's going to be 15 next month. I can't believe she's going to be 15 next month and going to learn how to drive and everything. So, but think about the priority. So I like people to think in terms of order, you need to protect that emergency fund, but then you need to have long-term growth strategy for the retirement money. That is a way like 10 years more down the road. But then think about some short-term intermediate term goals that you need to save and invest for. So potentially the long-term goal, if you invest more in stock market, Potentially, you could have higher than 5 to 6% return over the long term, right? Diversify, of course, not asking you to pick two stock and pray and hope. Yeah. <laughs> so, And then for the money shorter term or long, uh, intermediate term, you just have more combination of different type of bonds. So bonds are, and stocks have different risk profiles. So... If you have different kind of goal and different investment strategy to address that goal, then I think over time you can accumulate wealth much faster. Of course, always pay yourself first. Right. I always pay yourself first. Otherwise, you know, you have to set a saving goal just on the top of your budget. I always put it on the top. But how much are we supposed to be saving from our paycheck? Like what percentage? That is a question. I have to give you the answer. It depends. <laughs> it, it depends, but I can give you a general idea. Yes. So general, if people who are just starting out, you know, they really don't have anything. I would say minimum start with 10%. Okay. Minimum, let me explain why I come up with this. A lot of projections shown people, if they work from like 25 to 65, right? Let's say you retire at 65, but you could live to 95. So if you work 40 years, you need to have money that would last 30 years. 
you have to get that portfolio size to a pretty big number in order to sustain 30 years. So if you look at your income, there are some financial calculator, obviously, online to show you how much you put in over how many years you get there. But in general, I would say start with a minimum 10%. For people who are not able to do that, I would say start with 6 but then every time you get a raise, just increase it. Okay. That's a little bit easier, right? You can't just like suddenly take a big bite of 20%. I know a lot of people are dealing with student loans and they just don't have that much money after paying housing and student loan stuff. But it's important to have that goal set on your budget. It should be reviewed periodically so you are able to track your expenses using some like app like Mint. Mint.com is a free. I've used a free app for many years on my phone. So it's easy to use and you can track it. It will remind you if you exceed your budget by even $1. I like, <laughs> I like Mint. I used it before. It's, it's really useful. I had yeah. completely forgotten about it. I should go back to it. Is it M-I-N-T like Mint or M-I-M-Y? I think it's M-I. I think it's M-I-N-T. Just like the herb. Just Mint. I'm going to yeah. look at that. I, I didn't know about yeah. that. Yeah. It, it, it's a free it, you it's a free thing online. I I personally don't link investment accounts there because I'm a professional wealth manager, so I really don't need them to know my investment. <laughs> I I just link um my checking saving and two credit cards and my mortgage. Okay. Yeah, because then I can track every single thing and it I like it because you you it's you can have the app on your phone. I like that the fact you know you you can easily easily categorize it when you're standing in line uh, for grocery or whatever. I can categorize my you know my my expenses. So I, I I think we do need to go back to basic in terms of how to save more. I always want to remind people you can always save more now when you're able because you do not know when your job will be there because I I mean think about how many jobs people have to change right and since the industries are evolving so quickly look at how many companies are filing their bankruptcy right now I mean you you have to be thinking if I can just give up a little bit of to pleasure today to save for security in the future it's it's okay to save more than what I said because once you get to a point where you have a job insecurity or you actually need to have a ch- you decided to have a child and the you know for a couple when they try to make a decision how they're gonna arrange their lives to accommodate a new baby they have to figure out where to cut because you know they have less time to go to work. They have to spend more time to take care of newborn child and they will have to figure out to cut out many things to come up with the money. So for me, I think for people, if they save more than what average people say before they start a family, they have a much better foundation to raise a child in a more secure you know, financial environment. So so I would always ask, tell people if they ask me how much they should save, I was like, Minimum, I would tell you to save 10%. If you could do more, that's better. Because for me, certain years, I would save 20%. uh, Just because, you know, if I have a good year, why not save more? Great advice. Great advice. And it it makes complete sense. It's all about, um, you know, I, I I used to live paycheck to paycheck, right? Till I met my husband. He's super saver. Um, he, he loves finance and investing. Um, and he's completely, completely just changed my entire train of thought. I used to spend money like if I was rich and I trust me, I was not. Um, and now I, I've completely given up all of those um, wants versus needs that you were mentioning. And we have um, security and savings now. And it's so relieving to know that if something were to happen, we're going to be okay for a few months rather than 
um, the uncertainty, right? Of how would yeah. we pay for a mortgage or um, stuff for my daughter, put food on the table. So yeah, I, I completely agree. I think it's really important and you're giving us really great advice. Now, let's get into stocks because I'm super interested about stocks, right? Yeah. They seem to be very complex and people are, are, they shy away from it, especially the younger people. They're scared. So for our listeners, um, what advice do you give women that want to invest in stocks? But let's, um, let's think about somebody that makes under $50,000 a year as an example. What, mm-hmm. What's the beginner's guide for someone like that that would like to invest? Yeah, here's what I want to say. Of course, I cannot give specific stock recommendations. No, no, of course. No, of course. But but I definitely want to explain um, why it's important to invest in stock market. I think that's probably most important. That's perfect. And then also where, like what websites they can. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Well, here's what we think. Uh, When you invest... We know saving alone is not enough, right? If you're earning 1% in even an online savings account, give you less than 2%. And inflation is above 2%. So after paying taxes, you can never outpace inflation by putting money in CDs or savings. Just think about saving is good for short term. It's never good enough for your long-term goal. So what do you do with your long-term goal? Long-term goal requires investments that potential give you much higher return than 2%. So we can name at least like three big categories. Potentially, you can get that. One is stock market. Two is the bond market. Three is the real estate market. So it's pretty much like the three areas we'll need to think about how to invest. So talking about the stock market, the easy, the principle, I mean, anywhere you invest, the principle is diversification, meaning that you don't want to put your money too many eggs in one basket because if you select five stock and three just file bankruptcy this month, your plan is destroyed. So I want the people first understand You have to spread money across different type of investments so they don't go down at the same time. So when you invest uh, globally, that helps with diversification too. So what I would advise people, if they are not expert in picking stocks, well, most people are not. Right. What I would advise is at the beginning, start with something relatively simple and go with something like Vanguard with stock fund. The reason for it is Vanguard, for example, has a lot of funds that are, in my mind, I mean, you could, there are many selections. Some are large company, U.S., some are foreign. But what it is, is you can start with like $100, $200, but just be consistent. Pick up one or two funds, could be one global, you know, one US, and you just put that money every month, 100 200 whatever in there, because that would present the entire capital stock market. For the people who have long-term goal, don't have to in- need income, then they don't need to add the bond component. But for people who need to, don't want all the money in the stock market and they don't have 20 or 30 years you know, to wait if there is a major recession, they need to combine some bond funds that are relatively simple as well. Mm-hmm. At the Vanguard or TD Ameritrade, there are a lot of, uh, in my mind, don't start with picking a few stocks if you haven't had any investing experience. For people who would like to add some stocks to their existing, you know, like funds, because let's just say they already build up $100,000 uh, uh, diversified portfolio and they were like, yeah, I do have interest in just adding some stocks. Robinhood. Robinhood uh, offers very low-cost way to buy stocks and also exchange-traded funds as well. So just think about, you know, there are choices, but I have no experience at all for people. I would recommend starting with something low-cost and relatively simple and well-diversified if they are not working with a financial advisor. 
But of course, I since I work in this profession as financial advisor, I always want people to know that they don't have to do it alone. Because if you are not confident, instead of worry about it and doing the wrong thing and spend hours doing research, would it make sense to go and look for the right financial advisor and partner with that person? Maybe you that person gets paid 1% based on your balance, right? That is not a lot if you think about potentially help you achieve your goal. So I also want people to be open-minded to start looking for the right kind of financial advisors who can help them, you know, review their goals and set select the right kind of investment, uh, to design the risk level that is appropriate for that person's situation. So there is one resource I just want to mention for the people who want to who want to actually go online. I, I would say always you can ask for referrals, right? If someone has a good financial advisor uh, and experience, you can certainly interview several and choose the one you want. In terms of online resources, there is a website called letsmakeaplan.org. Let's, you know, like L-E-T-S, make a plan.org. Because that that uh, website will allow you to search for many certified financial planner professionals like me across the country. And uh, and certainly look for people uh, who can serve you, you better because there are some financial advisors, they have criteria, of course. That's why it's good to talk to different kinds of people and find the right fit. Most important ingredients in this relationship is trust. So you want to find someone you feel you can trust and not feel embarrassed. Well, you're, you're also trusting them with your money. So yeah, you definitely want to trust them. So <laughs> um, what you're saying, sorry, Gabby, go ahead. No, sorry. Just in regards to financial advisors, um, I happen to have one and I have an IRA account, right? Mm -hmm. So should I be contributing monthly to that IRA account. I mean, I have a considerable amount of money that she like works with in order to like yep. make it grow. And yep. she invests for me in different places. Mm -hmm. um, but should I be investing more to that account? Like monthly, maybe like, I don't know, a hundred bucks a month for it. Or is it, is it like, I should I just save that a hundred and not worry about that? You know what? IRA has maximum per year. So $6,000 uh, per year is the maximum this year for people under age of 50. So there is a maximum and your advisor should be able to tell you if based on your goal, should you maximize the 6,000 every year or not? And also based on your income level, you need to make a decision whether you should contribute to Roth IRA or traditional IRA because they're different. Roth IRA, you use after-tax money to put in, but the good news, so it's not deductible on your tax return. So it's a, you know, you, you write a paycheck, you already pay taxes, and then you put your money into the Roth IRA. Good news about Roth IRA is everything in the future when you take it out, including the earnings, will be completely income tax-free. So not every, based on your income level, I think I just wrote down uh, a reference for 2020 because as you can tell, they always change every year. IRS has this. Um, so think about this for people who are married. Um, if you make more than 206,000, you cannot directly contribute to Roth IRA. For single, if you make more than 139000 you cannot contribute to Roth. But if you are under those numbers, you should really consider maximizing Roth IRA every year because especially when you're young, the reason for it is you are more likely right now when your income is not very high, you are paying your taxes at lower rate right now. 
So in the future, you may be paying higher rates. So it's always good to try to put more money in the Roth IRA when you're paying at a lower rate because in the future, everything comes out tax-free, right? So I would say in terms of priority for those people who qualify to put in Roth IRA, I would say after the matching that you get from the company 401k, if you need to put in 6% to get 100% matching, then maximize that 6%. When you are able to save more, you should direct your new savings to the Roth IRA and see if you can maximize to $6,000 per year. And in terms of frequency, it's up to you if you prefer monthly or if you prefer whatever annually. And your advisor should be able to tell you because that person should be able to say, okay, here's whatever works better for you. Most important thing is saving and investing, right? So for people, if they like it to be, you know, $200 a month for now, but then before year end, if they are able to put in additional to maximize it, that's great. Whatever it is, it will really help because- I'm sorry. So per year, you're only allowed to uh, put in 6,000 to the Roth IRA? Yes. Yes. Got it. Okay. Yes. But there is another IRA called traditional IRA. For that IRA, you do not, uh, you, people need to have much lower income in order to deduct on their tax return. Uh, but your advisor should be able to tell you based on your income level, which one is most appropriate. But in general, I, as I say, in general, for people who are younger, they're not at a high income level. Roth IRA is the way to go. But I, I always tell people and say it depends on your own situation because 30-year-old could be making half a million too, right? So I shouldn't right. say. So it's some, some listeners that are making a lot of money. Let me tell you, Echo. Yeah, that, that's, what, that's why I think it, it, the reason why it's important for me to say there are principles of saving and investing. But every single person's goals and situations are so different. There's a reason why I enjoy this profession so much more than my, I think, my prior career as a tax CPA, you know, because the planning ahead makes so much impact in that person's life. Yes. So if I help somebody, you know, when I look back 20 some years now, my God, it is 20 some years and I... I still remember my first five clients. I still remember like the challenges they were having, how I had to think to help them solve the problems. And, you know, it's really fulfilling to be able to think back and say, you know, the first couple years of that relationship was so critical because you are able to help what I have done, you know, help them review their cash flow. We already talked about budget, right? So we help them review, project cash flow year by year to age 95 using the software tool. Um, the Echo dashboard on my website has that, you know, uh, video, like two minute video about the tool. So you can see the cash flow projection, understand money in and money out and your balance sheet projection to age 95 and help them review the insurance coverage, life insurance, disability insurance, some people long-term care insurance, and understand their tax situation to give them tax planning advice. It's a multi-year planning. So it's not just looking at like one year what you should do. And then estate planning, make sure they have proper will or trust financial power attorney healthcare directives it's extremely important to do that and then we put all these area of course review investment and give recommendation on how to change in terms of risk profile and all that together i think over time when we look back we're like the first two years are most critical to do to help client get through the tough time and also build the healthy money habit of saving and having the confidence in investing too. So many gems that you're teaching us, Echo. Yeah. <laughs> so many things that you're teaching us. That's so great. Um, Echo, tell us about your book. Yes. Book. 
Oh yeah, you know what? I I would love to tell you about my book because my I spent more than a year writing this book, and it's called "Own Your Future: One Woman's Story of Immigration and Financial Freedom." So my book is out now. Actually,、um, it, the ebook was out on May fifth and topped the, I think, top hundred、uh, in wealth management. A category on Amazon, and so I would definitely want to keep it up there、uh, for the ebook. And my hard copy will be out on June ninth. And let me tell you my main purpose of writing this book. And the first one is to educate and inspire more people to start planning now to own their future. The second purpose is to reveal. How wealth management is done by a fiduciary financial planner, so that readers can decide how to choose the right planner to partner with. The third is to encourage more women to choose this profession to address women's unique challenges. So, after you know over twenty some years in the trenches,、uh, not just in Investment management, but also in private and public accounting, I am confident the book will be educational and useful for your financial planning goals, and hope that many of the principles and stories I share will give you new ideas, or at least encourage you to try new things that has the potential to improve not only your portfolio but also your life. And、uh, so that's my main reason for writing the book. And I would love you guys if right now I have the、um, uh, uh, offers on my website where you can take advantage of, and you can write down my website ownyourfuture. dot guru. G U R U. So I do want. I want to be a financial guru for many people. So check out the website ownyourfuture.guru, and that's where you can、uh, get the special offer for my book, and also connect with me on social media:、uh, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and I definitely would love to hear from you.、Um, Maybe write me a message in terms of where you have heard about me, and any questions about your financial situation. If I'm not able to help you, at least I can connect you with someone or point you in the right direction. Echo, do you want to do a book giveaway for one of our listeners? Yeah. Will、absolutely. you sign it? Will you sign it too? I will definitely sign、okay. it. Thank、so、you. Yeah, this book I would say will be very special because it's advanced copy of the book because the books are not ready to be released until June ninth. Okay. So if a lucky winner of this、uh, giveaway will definitely receive a book signed by me、um, in the mail. Awesome! Thank you so much.、Um, where can you tell us your Instagram handle so that people can follow sure. you? Sure. Sure. My Instagram. Uh, Graham handle is my name Echo Huang CFP. So the spell as E C H O H U A N G C F P. CFP is Certified Financial Planner. So that, probably that's easier to remember. Just my name and then at Certified Financial Planner the abbreviation. And your website and then, again? What was it?、Uh, Ownyourfuture.guru. Yeah, guru. perfect. <laughs> Perfect. I love it. I love that you're doing this with a purpose to empower women to also get into this field. Because you did mention that only twenty per twenty three percent of women are doing what you do. So we need that percentage to go up. We need to have women behind empowering all these companies. I heard from other articles that executives who are companies who have executives that are women or. Or businesses that are run by women are likely more likely thirty three percent, I think, to be more profitable and profitable.、Yes. So I think、um, we need to, you know, you know, grow that percentage in your field as well. And I don't know. I think women we do it so differently. I feel like your passion, just like I could tell by the way you speak, 
and you love to help people. And I think as women, we have a little bit of that magic. You know, I want to add a little bit more to what you just said. Um, I want women to think that even though right now only 23% of CFP is women, in fact, if you're not counting CFP, you're just say in general financial advisor, even much smaller percentage. So what I'm saying is we don't have enough women to serve the women in the country. And women are very empathetic. And yes. women relate to other women. Women normally feel more comfortable talking about their money stories and fear easier maybe with another woman. So I just want to make sure people understand that the 23% that number hasn't changed in the past 20 years. Wow. And I am on a mission to do that by writing a book and speaking to different people on many podcasts and also making donations to CFP board, Women Initiative and um, Financial Planning Foundation because I want to make sure that in the long term, we are we are seeing more women helping more women because I think that will help with women issues here, like inequity, right? We know it's a big issue and we this effort will help that. And so I just want you guys, appreciate you guys to, you know, I mean, have me on the show and have the opportunity to talk about this issue because Many women think they they need to be great at math. But let me tell you, that is not true to begin with in this profession because, well, number one, women, many women are already great at math anyway, but they just think that they may not be. Even if you are not like the math genius, let me explain what I do here. Computer models and software take care of all the complicated math, okay? Seriously. And if you have high school math, okay, you can get started and learn from your job. I don't want people to think that, oh my God, you know, you have to be a math genius to be a financial advisor. That's not true. And then second thing is they think selling products are the main thing you do at this job. And that is not true either. I think based on my experience, I focus on building relationships and being empathetic because they are more than just, you know, telling them which fund to invest because the funds can change to, you know, all the time, right? But I think the relationship and the trust can be built that can last a lot longer than any products you own. So I just want this message to get out there and encourage women to seek out. And if people need my advice, I that's why I'm here for, is just help them get started. And, if, and the same thing, in my firm, I want to offer more job opportunities and go out there and let women get in the door and have an opportunity. I love it. We are so happy that you're doing that. And I have to say that my financial advisor is a woman and I do have that relationship with her. She's been with me through like ups and downs in my life where I'm like, oh my God, Carol, I need this. I need that. And, you know, it's kind of a therapist, kind low key, you know, <laughs> I really appreciate everything you're doing. <laughs> you, you know, therapy, you know what? If I reflect back in college, I wish I had taken more courses in um, counseling because I, as I look back, I realized my trainings are mainly on finance and accounting. And I actually had to read so many books about uh, behavioral finance and counseling later in life. So I just want you to know that, you know, your advisor, if you feel comfortable to talk so much with your financial advisor, she is definitely a good listener. I mean, I, so as you can imagine, you have to listen. I'm going to tell her. I'm like, oh, my God, you're 23% of, you know, the women population in this field. I totally love you right now because there isn't enough of you guys. So, you know, obviously for Girls Gone Boss, we're all about, like, empowering women. And I love the fact that 
you're making that number be just like accessible so that people know, wow, I didn't even know. Maybe some of the listeners are like, wow, I didn't even know I can get into that field or wow, maybe it's interesting. It's still like not all about math. Like I like the fact that, you know, and do you train women from scratch to start? That's why as I grow my firm, I have opportunities to hire uh, people fresh out of college wow. so that they are, because I didn't have a role model when I first came out. I didn't even know this could be a potential career choice. That's why I tried different things. And until five years later, I ended up in this career, right? So it took me five years uh, without mentor. So I, I hope that at least people hear about this and check out Financial Planning Association because I'm a member of Financial Planning Association. Minnesota chapter is very strong nationally. So people need to first see uh, this as a role model because otherwise they, it doesn't come to their mind. So I want people to know that, you know, there are firms out there like mine uh, you know, that simply want to get the words out there and offer job opportunities so people can come in here and learn a lot on the job. And of course, they are going to learn all kinds of skills, right? Communication skills, counseling skills, and, you know, the data analytical skills. And so I think people can learn a lot from the job. And I want women not to be intimidated. And there are more women who graduated from uh, college than men. We mm -hmm. know that's the data. But a lot more women are working in different kind of industry. And I think the financial services industry is extremely male dominated because the stereotype is someone uh, Caucasian, much older man with gray hair sitting somewhere maybe on Wall Street, manage <laughs> your money. I, 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 I want people to think about someone like me who could be totally different. I would look totally different. I can manage your money and help you. So I just want people to, you know, expand their mind and look into this kind of opportunity. I love it. Let's secure the bag, Echo. I love it. Thank you so much for your time. And um, I really enjoyed learning so much from you. And I know that our guests and our, I'm sorry, our listeners are going to take so many takeaways from this. Right, Alec? Definitely. Thank you so much, Echo. It was seriously a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Well, thank you both. Have a wonderful day. It you has too. been great. And okay. don't forget to go get her book. We're going to link it everywhere. We're going to tag her so that you start following her. So thank you for listening, everyone. Till next time, be safe and healthy. Listen to Girls Gone Boss. Hosted by Alex and Gabby. I love you guys. Oh, yeah.